Good morning. Today we have a very special treat. Today we are joined by Micah of Morasheth, and it's going to be a treat to be able to talk to him. Micah, he lived more than 2,700 years ago and has agreed to be with us here in Wassa today. He's going to tell us about something that he wrote, something that is really important to us, especially this time of year. Micah, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing well, actually. Uh, but this clothing that you made me buy is quite uncomfortable and restrictive. Uh, you told me it would be freezing outside and that I needed to wear this. What did you call this place? Frozen Tundra. Frozen Tundra. Yeah. Not so frozen, but definitely this is warmer than what I'm used to wearing. And you told me that this is like dressy or something? Yeah, a lot of us like to dress up a bit this time of year, but there's one guy around these parts named Dave Mahler. He takes the cake. He steals cake? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a figure of speech. It means that he outdresses everyone and he keeps an eye on the rest of us. He keeps an eye on us? Point him out to me. I want to stay clear of him. This is bad enough. You can count on it for both of our sakes. Well, everyone, I'm excited to be able to talk to Micah today because he is a prophet of the Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, Micah. I, I thought I told you you can be at ease here. This is a safe place. Yeah, safe. I told, you told me that I could trust these people, but I don't know. They don't look very trustworthy. I'm used to people throwing cucumbers and onions at me every time they hear that I'm a prophet of the Lord. Well, I'm very sorry that's how many responded to you. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about it? Well, okay. A prophet of the Lord. We don't speak what we want to say. We speak what God lays on our hearts. That can be very difficult. Now, sometimes God's message is wonderful. Praise him. He gives us such encouragement. But sometimes the message God lays on our heart is rather tough. He wants us to talk about sin, and nobody wants to hear about sin. He sends me to talk about sin to people, to priests, to kings and queens, hmm. and it doesn't always go well. He tells us that we have to change our life, that we have to depart and repent, and people don't want anything to do with it, and so they throw things at me all the time. Cucumbers and onions? Yes, those included. But honestly, I could have been quite popular. I really could have been. There are a lot of prophets that are quite popular. What happens is you just flash a little silver, you put a little bag of shekels. We call those popular ones false prophets. They'll say anything that anyone wants to hear, and they'll declare that it is a word from God. Yikes. So being a prophet is a tough job, at, at least to do it faithfully like you did. Yes. At least you never go hungry. I have cucumber and onion soup every single night. <laughs> it's not bad. But you know, God, he gave me a word. Let me just read it to us. I, I brought my scroll. This is what God said. I will fill you with power and with the spirit of the Lord. And with justice and might, and declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. And then God gave me not only a word for me, but a word for many. 
a word for Samaria, a word for Jerusalem. He told us that because of our sin, because of our sin, he was going to bring judgment. He was going to bring discipline to our people. He was going to send a nation, Babylon, to us. He was going to ransack us, carry us into captivity. It would be a very difficult time. But there is hope. There is always hope. If you are part of the faithful remnant, if you believe in God, you speak for God, you live for God, you serve God, you are part of the faithful remnant. And for us, there is hope. It was proclaimed all the way back in Genesis 12, where our forefather Abraham was told that there would be a remnant like the stars in the sky, and God would never leave, never forsake. It was foretold by our forefather, King David. We were told that on his throne, there would be a king that would reign forever and ever. There is hope for us. Well, that's actually a perfect way to transition because the text I want to ask you about today that you wrote is about hope. It's about hope on the other side of despair, hope on the other side of exile, hope that would come out of a little city named Bethlehem. A little town of Bethlehem? That's a great one. Tell us about it. Absolutely. It's a passage we all know and love. We even have songs we sing about at this time of year. We've heard a couple this morning. And before I ask questions, though, I want to remind everyone here where we are in the account of your people, in the the history of Israel. Honestly, it's more of a reminder for our adults because our kids have been learning all about it in One Way Club. They're not reading the scrolls? That's right. Our kids have been studying, but our adults need a reminder. Our kids have been learning about the great big promise that God made to your first father, Abraham, that he would bless all the families of the world through his family, through your family, through the people of Israel. Our kids learned about how a long time later, your people, they went into Egypt, they became oppressed slaves, but God rescued them out with a mighty arm. And more recently, we learned about how Israel became a kingdom. After the dark days of the judges, Israel wanted to be a kingdom like all the other nations. They wanted to have a king like everyone else. And so God gave them Saul, But Saul didn't follow the Lord. He didn't do what was right in the Lord's eyes. And so God took the kingdom from him and gave it to King David. And that's when we learned about the great big promise that God made to King David, that he would always have a son on the throne and that his kingdom would endure forever. How am I doing so far? Not bad. Keep it going. Well, thank you. After that, we learned about how many, if not most, of King David's sons, they didn't live up to their special Role. That's an understatement. Yeah, most of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and sadly, the kingdom of Israel divided and moved further and further away from the Lord. And so, God raised up prophet after prophet like yourself to warn Israel to turn back to God or face disaster. The truth is, so few listened, so few read the scrolls, so few listened to a prophet of the Lord. They just wanted to do what was right in their own eyes rather than in the eyes of God, just like, as you said, just like the period of the judges. And so God did raise up some faithful prophets who spoke of judgment, punishment, discipline, but hope. Hope that would come through Messiah. Hope that would come through Bethlehem. 
Well, let me read the first part of the message you wrote that I want to talk about today. We have your writing in a Bible, and what we call this first part, we call it Micah 4, 9 through 10. A little different. That's a strange-looking scroll. It's modern technology, to be sure. Let me read what you wrote. This is Micah 4, 9 through 10. Now, why do you cry aloud? Isn't there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon, but there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. Do you mind explaining this first part for us? I absolutely wrote that. That was that vision I had of Samaria, that vision I had of Jerusalem. It was a vision that God would bring Babylon a terrible city, 850 miles away, that we would be taken captive, that the nobles, that the priestly realm, we would be taken into captivity for many, many, many years because of our sin, because of discipline. And I did write about a woman in labor. I know, gals, I know what you're thinking. Another man who thinks he knows about labor. I don't know a thing. I'm not claiming to know a thing about labor, but I do know what often comes after hard labor, a baby, a precious baby. And so that was the metaphor, that we would go through difficulty, we would go through travail and tempest and trial. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe life is very hard right now. Maybe you are in the midst of tempest and trial and travail, and you're earnestly praying that God would take you around the trial, but God is taking you through. Trust God. Keep your eyes on God. Believe that there is hope. Believe that there is hope. But often, as we think of hope on the other end, first there is pain, and the pain for us was Babylon. Mm. You talk about Babylon, and as I understand it, Babylon was a picture of everything that was wrong in the world. And, you know, we have a city kind of like that in our own country, Las Vegas, mm. often called Sin City, and there's an expression there. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And it's because the sins committed there are too shameful to talk about anywhere else. I bet Dave Mahler isn't there. I bet you he's not. Because he is always watching, right? And what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yep. No one would go there if he was there. I don't want to know anything about Vegas, but it sounds a lot like Babylon. Babylon was utterly the worst, and you wanted nothing to do with Babylon. It was the city that brought damage and destruction to my nation. Well, we're so thankful for your message, and I'm sure it gave a lot of hope to those who were in Jerusalem when Babylon came. Hope on the other side of disaster, hope on the other side of despair. Do you mind if I read the next part of what you wrote? You have it? Yeah, I'd love to hear I it. I do have it. Here's what you wrote. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. 
You shall beat in pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. You know, I notice a pattern in what you've written so far, in both sections. In the first part that I read, you begin with despair, but end with hope, with Israel being carried off to Babylon, but then being rescued by God from there. And here, you begin with despair, but end with hope as well. It repeats the same pattern. It begins once again with Jerusalem surrounded by her enemies, and and they're nasty enemies. They brag about their might and power over Jerusalem, But then again, there's hope. The enemy thinks they're in charge, but they're not. They don't know that this is all part of God's plan. They don't understand that they've been outsmarted by God who is going to punish them for taking things too far. And that's when you call Israel an ox? Is that a compliment or an insult? It's definitely a compliment. This is a metaphor. God is going to bring them through the despair And on the other side of it, he will make Israel strong like an ox. It will have horns like iron, and it will have hoofs like like bronze to trample the husks and the shaft. And he will bring punishment, and he will bring difficulty to the very ones he used to discipline us. You got the pattern right. Despair leading to hope. If you are part of the remnant and you are in despair, keep your eyes on the Lord. There's hope coming. There's hope coming. Allow me to read from one of my scrolls. This is my favorite part in the entire scroll. It says this. Now muster your troops, O daughters of troops. Siege is laid against us. That's what will happen to Jerusalem. Babylon will come. It will trample us. It will seize us. It will carry us into captivity. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now, this is my very favorite. But you, O Bethlehem of Epitaph. Bethlehem means house of bread. It's going to go on to say that They are the smallest of the tribes that nobody pays any attention. But notice that it not just gave Bethlehem, but Epitaph, a much older name. Epitaph is fruitful. Out of this insignificant city that nobody pays any attention to, there will be fruit. Maybe you're in despair. Maybe it's dark for you. Maybe you have trial and travail and tribulation. But keep your eyes on the Lord. And God will bring out of you fruitfulness. But you, O Bethlehem of Epitaph, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me the one who is to be ruler of Israel. A proclamation. Better days are coming. Great days are coming. Messiah is coming. Whose coming forth is from old. From ancient of days, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. 
It's very clever writing. I see the pattern again. It begins with despair, but ends with hope. And this time, I think it ends with the greatest hope of all. It begins once again with Jerusalem surrounded by her enemies, but in the end, God's people dwell securely under the rule of a great shepherd king. And this shepherd king, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. He is going to be the great ruler, the great shepherd king, the Messiah, the one we are waiting for. Hold on, I want to finish this one, actually. I got this one. Whatever. This new great ruler that you talk about, he is going to be great, and he will be born in humble Bethlehem, but he won't be like Israel's other kings who mostly ruled for themselves, but not for God. You wrote that he will be from Bethlehem, but before God. And he comes from Bethlehem because that's where King David came from. And so I think you're saying this new ruler, he's going to be an even greater king than even King David, whose coming is from long ago, from ancient of days. You seem to know the account well. Keep going. I do. We all do. And this one, he's going to be a mighty king, and he's going to shepherd his people in the strength of the Lord. He will be their safety, and they will live securely, and his name will be famous throughout the world. All of Israel's brothers will join Israel, not just those who are brothers by blood, but those who share in the siblingship of the Spirit and share in the faith of Abraham. And he's going to be a great ruler, and his name is going to be Jesus, and he is going to be the Messiah. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus, I didn't write that. I don't know him. Well, I know you didn't write that, but we have the privilege from our day to look back after your day and celebrate what has come true. The baby was born in Bethlehem, the baby you wrote about. Messiah has come? He has. And what you wrote as a message of hope has come true. That hope has come. It has been fulfilled. And everyone here is here to celebrate his birth, Jesus' birth, the Messiah's birth, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, tell me more. Well, we celebrate his birth every year this time. We call it Christmas. Christmas begins with the word Christ, which means Messiah. And so every year we celebrate the coming of the Christ, the coming of Israel's Messiah. And you know, 600 years after your ministry, 600 years after you wrote about this message of hope, that hope came. Messiah has come. He has. And I want to read to you a passage from another spirit-inspired scripture writer named Matthew. You see, Matthew, he was a close friend and disciple of Jesus the Messiah, and here's what he wrote regarding the birth of Jesus. He said, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Whoa. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he considered these things, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, same guy. Same guy. Incredible. God with us. So when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. 
But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I think you're going to like this next part. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Kind of interesting. Go on. It gets more interesting. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired from them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, it's just so as it's written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I wrote that. He's... He's quoting me. I wrote that. That's right. And that's how the chief priests and teachers of the law knew where Messiah would be born because of what you wrote. What you wrote as a message of hope has come true. He was born in Bethlehem, just as you said he would be. It happened. Messiah has come, and he has come for the Jews. You're not a Jew. He's come for the Jews and the Gentiles. That's right. Almost everyone in this room is a Gentile, and we've committed I'm our... sorry about that. <laughs> well, we've committed ourselves to Messiah as well, to Jesus. We've turned from our darkened and futile ways to worship and follow Jesus as well. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And he's saved us from even darker enemies than Babylon, Whoa. even worse enemies, all of our enemies. And so it's a special time of year. It's Christmas. It's the time when we celebrate the fulfillment of what you wrote when that baby was born in that little town named Bethlehem, when that ruler shepherd came, and indeed his name is great to the ends of the earth, and his people do dwell securely in him, and he does stand forever in the strength of the Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Well, Micah, I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. Thank you for making the time. It truly has been a blessing. Well, thank you for having me. It's been it's been wonderful, and, and Gentiles aren't that bad. Thank you, thank you. Messiah has come, and we are going to continue to celebrate him today. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus in that little town named Bethlehem. And so I'm going to pray just to wrap up our conversation, and then we're going to sing more songs of praise to Jesus. That sounds good and right. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your message of hope the message of hope that you've spoken for generations and for so long that has led us to that manger, that birth of the baby, your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we're just so grateful for this gift and invitation this year. Father, fill us afresh with hope and joy and peace and love as we come and celebrate Jesus today. We love you, Father, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so tell me more about this Jesus. Yeah, well, this one time, he was in a boat with his disciples, and a storm came upon them, and he simply commanded the chaos to be still, and bam, it was. It was calm. Amazing. Anything else? Well, this other time, he was in a boat as well. <laughs>